You're listening to a podcast hosted on the Podcaster Matrix. Get your entire podcast library hosted now at podcastermatrix.com. Are you troubled by pop culture references you don't understand? Does trying to figure out a good jumping on point in a long-running comic series keep you up at night? Have you or your friends or family seen a comic book-based movie, TV show, or cartoon and not known what was going on? If the answer is yes, then this is the podcast for you. My My Big Big Fat Pull List. Our assembly of knowledgeable hosts are eager to help answer all your comic book-based pop culture questions. We're We're ready to geek geek out with you. Change can be a good thing. It brings growth. Expansion, understanding, and appreciation for what came before. But change can also bring fear, anger, darkness. After the continuity-altering effects of the crisis on Infinite Earths, the DCU enjoyed a period of peace and reconstruction. But that was all about to change. Invasions! Betrayals! Exile, disbandings, war, and murder? These are just a few of the perils the DCU faced in the late 80s and early 90s. Join in as we begin to travel down a road of change that will set the stage for a series of unthinkable events in our latest episode of Understanding DC Comics Continuity, The Dark Years. Part 1. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and of course, listeners of all ages to another edition of my Big Fat Pull List podcast. I am one of your hosts, Mr. X. Joining me tonight is... Smurfy. Dr. Impact. The King of Horse himself, Pistol Danger. No, no, it's November now. Oh. It's <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, hold on. I got this, guys. I don't think you do. The Bang Man, Pistol Danger. I nailed it. First try, guys. First try. First take. First take, and he got it. All right. So, welcome to another edition of our podcast, folks. We are glad to be back to this series of episodes. If you haven't guessed from our intro, the epicness of our intro, we are diving back into understanding dc comics continuity it's been a little while and we have got a the start of a great two-parter for you folks it's the dark years oh yeah you thought a crisis on infinite earth was dark oh you ain't seen dark yet i thought it was just bad five episodes and that's what we got jesus we're, uh, we're not talking no, not about that. the show <laughs> the Wait, comics I submitted my notes for that episode. Nothing? Fine. Well, no, it's fine. We will get to that. I mean, if people actually care about it. You know what? We're going to save that for a Patreon exclusive. Uh... Oh, speaking of Patreon. Because we were. Yeah, we should tell people about our Patreon. Do you guys think that the listeners know to go at this point to www period patreon.com forward slash my big fat pull is podcast and select a cheer 
that represents what they want to donate to us per month in exchange for something for them? Well, if they didn't before, they do now, Pistol. Hot diggity. But that's not all. Not only do we have exclusive content over on our Patreon page, but we also have exclusive content on our YouTube page. Well, that's right. We've made the jump. We have made the jump to YouTube. But yeah, we're on there. Everybody go check it out. We got different shows. In fact, as of recording this episode, we just released a new episode of our YouTube show, Discoveries and Revisits. That's a YouTube show. It is not a podcast. So you do have to go to YouTube and find my big fat pull list on there. And yeah, you'll a have subscriber. to you have to watch slash listen. Yep. There's plenty of shows. We've got discoveries and revisits. We've got the road to rebirth with Mr. X. Yes, that's right. I have my own show. We also have two shows coming very soon, and you can see promos for those shows on the YouTube channel. But um, we don't want to overstimulate you too much. I mean, we know that everybody wants a lot of us all the time. It's also the best place to catch all of our interview videos, which we have more in the pipeline ready for you. And enough of us tooting our own horns, because we have plenty of horns to toot. Let's jump into exploring these dark years of the DC Universe post-Crisis on Infinite Earths. Things fall apart. We don't want to go through a, a whole recap of everything that that we've covered in dc comics continuity at this point because that's just too much so you know anybody that wants to get caught up on that pause this episode go to our archives check out the past episodes of the dc comics continuity Mm -hmm. and then get yourself caught up if you haven't then come back over here and, and press play at this point we'll wait for you so now that we all know that we're all caught up at this point in dc comics continuity Things start turning dark, and they really start in a book that I discovered, and I I didn't even know existed until I was prepping for this episode and and found it. It's the Batgirl special. It's a one-shot. I want to say it's like 40 or 50 pages. Hmm. And it's somewhere around 1988 is when it came out, something like that. I feel like back when one-shots mattered. Back when one-shots really were, yeah, I mean, everybody had a one-shot, you know, and they were important. And this one was crucial. I mean, this was really crucial. And it was an interesting read. It seemed to play off a lot of Batgirl history that I didn't know about. So there were certain things that I was a little lost on, but for the most part, I was able to follow it. But what was so crucial about it is Batgirl is struggling throughout this one shot about whether or not she should continue to be Batgirl. Hmm. And by the end of the book, she has decided that she is going to retire. And and what it does is it sets the stage. It's it's let's say it's the prelude almost to these dark times that we're talking about. Okay. It sets the stage because the very next thing, the real kickoff of what I call the dark years of DC is Batman the Killing Joke. It pretty much picks up at most maybe a month after this Batgirl special. Oh, okay. 
Now, when it was originally put out, it was not not a, a hardcore continuity piece. There were aspects of it that, that they said might connect, and they've retconned it so many times. But eventually, a few years later, they did finally say that Killing Joke is part of continuity, and so that's why we're talking about it here today, because it, it doesn't greatly detract from anything by adding it. In fact, it actually makes things easier to follow. We all know the story of Killing Joke, and I'm talking about the book, not the movie, which was pretty horrible. Uh... Um, I, yeah, I, I mean, well, there's there's some parts of that film that let's just say the first half didn't need to be created to pad the running time, I guess you would call it. No, 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 it didn't need to be done at, at all in that in that sense. But we're not talking about the movies. We're talking about the comics. So, yeah. So the killing joke, everybody knows that's where Joker goes. He shoots Barbara Gordon, ends up crippling her. He kidnaps Commissioner Gordon and have that famous face-off between Batman and, and Joker at the end of the book. It's also the book that essentially confirms who the Joker is, at least up till that point right? in continuity, making him the failed comedian who was the Red Hood. The killing joke really kind of sets the stage. I mean, and if you think about it, as brutal and as horrible as that book gets, if that's setting the stage for the Dark Years, yeesh. That's the perfect uh, prologue to what happens during the Dark Years. Yeah, yeah it, yeah, it really is. Yeah. That moment, you know, it's so, it's so awful. It basically heralds the next big awful moment, which of course is a Batman moment as well. Mm -hmm. Jason Todd. Oh. Death in the Family. Now, have you guys read Death in the Family? Have you guys read the the actual story? Yeah. Yeah. I have not, actually. It's pretty interesting. It's it's not... I, I read it once many years ago. And of course, I remember all the major beats to it, but I, I hadn't read it in forever, so... This had this was the first time I had read it in a long time. And it's interesting because it doesn't quite play out the way you would expect it to. Like, you expect it to end with the death of Jason Todd, with Joker beating Jason Todd Robin with a crowbar and killing him. But it doesn't. That's like in issue three of this four-issue book, which was just in regular Batman. It wasn't like a miniseries or anything. It just took place in the Batman title. And it's just, it's interesting to see how the story plays out because it doesn't seem to really focus on Robin much and on Jason Todd until about midway through the second part of the story. It almost seems like the whole killing Jason Todd thing, even presenting it as an option, was sort of an afterthought to this bigger story between Joker and Batman. And obviously, you know, it's a very famous story behind it being that the DC Comics gave the readers an opportunity to vote on the outcome. Right. Should uh, should Jason die or not. Interestingly enough, the copy that I have is a hardcover edition. And in the hardcover edition, it has the unprinted pages of the other outcome. Really? Yeah which was very cool to, to read, especially after having reread it for this. Yeah, it was very, very interesting to, to see it and to see he picks up 
Jason and, and he has a pulse and but it's essentially the same layout, same page layout and everything. It's just a just a different dialogue and different face on Batman. <laughs> right. It's very interesting to think that back then there was so much dislike and disdain for Jason Todd mm-hmm. that voters voted him to die. But now he is like one of the most popular DC characters associated to the Bat family. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and again, much like Bucky Barnes coming back as Winter Soldier, and I know we're jumping ahead quite a few years here, but um, <laughs> both of those moments, the Bucky Barnes Winter Soldier and the Jason Todd Red Hood returns were both things that when I first heard about it, I thought, are you kidding me? Don't do that. You're You're cheapening those moments but they they've handled it so well that they didn't cheapen them at all if anything right. they they've made them more impactful and and certainly here do you think people voted to have jason todd killed because they were wondering if they would actually do it possibly like you're like there's no way they're gonna kill off this character let's just see if they actually like keep to their word and then oh oh they did oh my god or do you think they really hated the character that much they're like just get rid of this guy we don't care I don't know. I wasn't collecting major DC and Marvel comics at that time. I wasn't really paying attention to it as it was being released, and therefore I didn't vote either. So I, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. But if any of our listeners out there know the answer, or were collecting at the time and did vote one way or the other, we'd love to hear from you about that. Oh yeah. The other major thing that occurs at this time, and I I bring it up even though the storyline where these characters get introduced is kind of, I don't want to say lame, because it's not really lame, but it's just, it doesn't really have any bearing on the overall continuity at the time. It becomes something much further down the line, which is why I wanted to bring it up now. The extremists are introduced Hmm. in the Justice League. The extremists are a group of supervillains who hail from a world called Angor in some weird other dimension. So, once again, we're only a few years removed from Crisis, and we're not necessarily creating alternate Earths, but we're creating alternate dimensions. So, basically the same thing. Right. What makes the extremists interesting to me is that they are analogs of the biggest and most famous Marvel villains. Hmm. So Lord Havoc is Doctor Doom. And and for the life of me at this moment, I cannot remember many of the other characters on the extremists <laughs> names, but you do have a Dr. Octopus. You do have a Magneto. You do have a Sabretooth. Yeah. You've got a Dormammu or Dormammu, whatever, however you pronounce it. So, you know, you, you've got this, this group of, of Marvel villains, essentially that DC is doing, and it's pretty blatant that that's who they are. And they, they end up having a face off with the justice league. It's not a huge thing at this time. I think the Justice League easily defeats them. And I want to say they they kind of defeat them all and leave husks, empty husks of these characters, like hmm. almost like bodies uh, or robot bodies, except for the Darmammu knockoff, whose name is Dream Slayer. 
Dream Slayer is is shot off to his original dimension, which doesn't really exist anymore because everything got destroyed, and he's like kind of locked away there. And I mention that because that comes into play a little bit later. But so that's that's kind of the start of things. That's kind of how things start to get a little dark. Invasion. Okay, so at this point in time, the DC universe is invaded by the Dominators. Ah, uh, yes. If you watched the Invasion crossover in the Arrowverse, or if you watched the season of Invasion on Young Justice, essentially you kind of got the basic idea of what Invasion was. But there's so much more to it that neither one of those two shows addressed. Mm. I would say the Young Justice cartoon did it closer, but they changed a lot of the alien races to different races for some reason. It was certainly hitting more of the right beats. Mm -hmm. So essentially what Invasion is, and I remember reading it from years ago, but it was interesting to reread it this time because I did read a small handful of the tie-ins. The Dominators essentially team up with various different alien races. The Thanagarians are one of them. There's a whole bunch of them. There's like five or six. The Daxamites. uh, Oh, the Daxamites. Yeah, the Daxamites. Yep, they were there. Who are very similar to Kryptonians. They're like Kryptonian cousins. Yep, yep. And they, they invade Earth. And the idea is that they are concerned about the heroic forces that are are building on earth the superheroes basically Mm -hmm. yeah and what they're looking at is they're looking at can we create some of our own and control them and if not can we wipe them all out and be done with this mud hole of a planet and of course you know even though these different alien races have made a pact they're all kind of sparring with one another as well none of them trust each other and and so of course it's going to be all chaos Rereading it and reading it with some of the tie-ins, what I found was that at the time, they were really, really hanging the next couple of years worth of stories on Captain Adam. Hmm. Because he really seems to be the focal character in Invasion, for the most part. He ends up getting put in charge of all of Earth's heroes. He is their captain. And he does an amazing job. I mean, he he becomes, this is the story that makes Captain Adam an A-list player in DC Continent. This is also the story where the fallout of it gives us quite a few things famous from DC Comics that uh, I, I personally did not know came out of the story. Or, or if I did, I had forgotten. For instance, Justice League Europe forms after the heroes defeat the the invading forces and and kick all the aliens out, Justice League Europe forms. And Hmm. Captain Adam is put in in charge because he did so well with marshalling the forces during the invasion. I guess in my mind, because when I originally bought Justice League Europe, I just always kind of thought that 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 came around the same time as as the uh, the other stuff, but uh, no, it comes out of invasion. It comes out of what occurs. They they realize that they need more Justice League satellite groups, essentially, around the planet. Interesting, because I always thought 
Justice League Europe was like a the evolution of what started as Justice League International. It, it is, and it certainly plays out of that. And if you, oh, if okay. you don't if okay. you don't read Invasion, that is certainly a part of it. But it is a direct response to the invasion. Okay. Oh well, that makes more sense. The other major major moment that comes out of the invasion, and this. I guess I glossed over at the original time I read it, or maybe I just didn't catch it, so I didn't know it. There is a bomb that goes off near the end of the storyline. Mm-hmm. And this is a bomb that is said to give superpowers. Yeah, it was and the uh, Metagene, Metagene bomb. It was the Metagene bomb. bomb, yes. Because the, the Dominators actually discovered the Metagene. Right. This invasion storyline was their way of going, so how do we explain superheroes? It, yeah, it really is. Yeah, it's 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 also their way of sort of trying to cash in on Marvel sales at the time with the X gene. Yeah. Which, I mean, at this, at this time, that's the number one biggest selling comic going yeah. on right now is X-Men. That is true, yep. X-Men and I think X-Factor and New Mutants are all going on at this time. So I felt like, yeah, the meta gene. Okay, you're trying to you're trying to cash in. When they finally stop everything and they revert a majority of those affected by the meta gene bomb, at the end, there are still some who retain the powers that they've received from the meta gene bomb. Mm. Most notably the leader of the Justice League, Maxwell Lord. Yeah, this, this is this is this where is he where, gets those wacky yep, powers. This is where he gets his mental controlling powers. Yeah. Which I guess I missed it. I guess I didn't catch it. But yeah, this is this is the moment. That's huge in DC continuity. That alone makes the invasion storyline a massive story. Which is kind of interesting because at the time it was more of the Hey, so guess what? It's 1980, whatever, and this is our big thing for the year. Yeah, yeah. And but they then had just later on. Later on, we actually the, the the writers, you know, decades later, actually go. You know what? Let's make this more important. Yeah, let's do something with that. Yeah. The other thing about invasion that is very interesting is they uh, they had gotten a young artist from Marvel, kind of on mm. loan almost from Marvel for uh i want to say the first issue and maybe half of the second issue to do the book before this artist ended up becoming the international superstar that he is today todd mcfarlane yep and that first issue while almost not completely but almost void of superheroes it's almost entirely aliens in that first issue is gorgeous it is that early todd mcfarlane where he was just putting detail and his little small little hash marks. And it's beautiful. It's a beautiful issue. McFarlane doesn't get enough credit for the work that he did before he got on Spider-Man. Yeah, I agree. I agree. There are other books that come out of the invasion storyline. Most notably, this is where the flash starts. The Wally West flash series Hmm. starts as a result of the invasion storyline. And I don't think it was one of those like 
okay, we're going to use this. I think it was more of a publishing move than anything else. We want to put out a flash book. Well, why don't we promote it at the end of Invasion? Great, we'll put it out with all the other first issues. But it, it does technically come out after after Invasion. Hmm. The other thing that occurs here is Keith Giffen relaunches the Legion of Superheroes. Hmm. I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail on that because we do have an episode coming up soon where I will go into great detail on the Legion uh, before we get to Zero Hour because it's I feel it's kind of important to get through Zero Hour. But this is where that picks up. The other thing that occurs after Invasion is a storyline that I read now for the first time ever called Superman Exile. And apparently what had been going on in the Superman books at this time, Superman was dealing with some sort of brainwash of some kind. He started masquerading as a different hero, Gangbuster, at night, and he essentially inadvertently allowed someone to die. And then the invasion hit. So when the invasion is over, and this even happens, I think, in the final issue of Invasion, when all the heroes are heading back home, he flies off into space. And they're like, where's he going? They're like, I don't know, it's Superman. I'm sure he's got something to take care of. But what it is, is he's putting himself into exile. He doesn't feel like he he should be here anymore. Mm. And so he's going to go and try and find somewhere else. Uh, because, you know, maybe being a Kryptonian, especially with the world dealing with massive, almost bigoted views against any aliens after the invasion, maybe this isn't the best place for him. The reason this story is important is because he ends up running into, well, at least for the first time in this new continuity, he runs into Mongol oh, and Warworld. Okay. Or Mongol's Warworld, which is, I think, different from other Warworlds that have shown up. But this is Mongol's Warworld. Now, that's all very cool, and that's kind of prominent in and of itself. But while he is battling, and while he is is forced into his into this essentially planet Hulk-like storyline where he's a gladiator on Mongol's war world, he ends up coming across this guy who knew the Kryptonians Hmm. before Krypton died. And what he was able to do was he was able to save something from Krypton. And what it was is it, it looks like it's this like pod almost. It's the Eradicator pod. It is essentially a digital book, I guess, or a digital code of the entire history of Krypton. Everything. Cultural, religious, language, the whole bit. It's all in this Eradicator pod, which is gifted to Superman before he, he returns back home. Again, I'd never read this, so I didn't know. This is where the Eradicator starts. That is the Eradicator. It's just currently that mentality is just stuck in this pod instead of in a body of any kind. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I can see where the creators of the cartoon series got the idea of mixing Brainiac Mm -hmm. with Eradicator to form the character that he was in the animated series. Right, right. And it, and it's things like that that occur all throughout this time, which is why this is really a part one of this Dark Years, because this is it's that kind of stuff that sets up the things that are really going to happen, the 
really dark stuff that comes. You know, I mean, that's a big moment, introducing the Eradicator. That's a, that's a big deal. And of course, Superman comes home, but that, that Eradicator pod ends up in the fortress and um, plays quite a part for a little while in a number of stories. A Brief Glimmer of Hope At this point, you know, I know we're talking about the Dark Years. There are some good things that come out of all this. Obviously, we mentioned we get a new Justice League team, Justice League Europe. Yeah. And I, I was always a big fan of that team. You know, Captain Atom and Elongated Man and Metamorpho and Flash. and It was just a fun, stupid team, as well as their their embassy in, in France, which I think changed then later to, to London or something. I, I forget. But, you know, the other thing that we get out of this is a young kid who discovers Batman, Timothy Drake. Mm. I don't know about you guys, but Tim Drake was always my favorite Robin. Mm, that's interesting. I'd have to think about it. It's kind of a toss up between him and Dick Grayson. Like Dick Grayson's always got a solid spot in my heart. Yeah, he does to, to me too, but he's become, I mean, he's, he's owned that Nightwing persona now so much. That that's true. To, yeah. It's hard to keep associating him with Robin. I got you. For me, man, I, I can remember one of the earliest books that I, I picked up from DC was the Robin miniseries where Robin is sent basically to study and become a better fighter. Batman sends Tim off essentially for like a summer course uh, in, in some Tibetan land to, to become a better hero. Mm. And what he ends up doing is he ends up, leaving and investigating this other issue that occurs and he ends up going down this long road and he learns different skills but they essentially do the same training it's just he learns from different ways and batman keeps an eye on him the whole time but that first miniseries is is very cool development of him but i i've always been a big fan of tim drake and and you know the whole lonely place of dying storyline that yeah. crosses over between batman and and uh the Teen Titans books that introduces Tim and gives him the costume. It's the fact that this is the first character who actually solved mm -hmm. the biggest mystery there mm -hmm. is. Yep. He figured it out. Both Dick and Jason were brought in. Right. And Tim sought out Bruce slash Batman. He figured it out. Right. True. And being a Robin, that's a that's a tender at this point in time. It's a tender subject because yeah. of what just happened to Jason. I mean, you're only talking at most maybe ten issues since Jason was killed. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it, it, it's very interesting. And at first, Batman doesn't want to have anything to do with him. Oh, of course not. No, it's like you know, no, there like, will no. be no more Robins. Yeah, we're done. We're done with Robins. But Tim is just so interesting, and brings. I think even even still today brings some much needed light and hope to the Batman family. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I really think that he he is the closest thing to an avatar of hope for them. One of the other things that comes out of this that is hopeful for our heroes in the DCU, but really starts to mess things up is Hawkworld. 
the Hawkworld series, the ongoing series, not the miniseries mm-hmm. that we talked about in our previous episode. This is the ongoing. Basically, Katar Hall from the miniseries and Shayera are sent to Earth to work as emissaries. The invasion has ended, and they're trying to basically clean the name of Thanagar. Mm, yeah, okay. So they are sent to Chicago. I've never read this book. I ended up picking up the first, I think, 13 or 14 issues just for this, just to prep for this episode. And I've always been a big Hawkman fan. I've never really cared for this version of Hawkman before. The metal wings, the, the hardcore police officer. I never really cared for it. Yeah. Man, I am kicking myself I, that I never read this before. Because of all of the stuff that I've read so far for this episode and prep for this, this was by far the 13 best issues I read. Wow. Okay. Hands down. And not, not just because I'm a, a Hawkman fan, although that, I'm sure that that certainly adds to it. No, this book is great. And I, I'm in for the long haul. I'm going to hunt down all the other issues in, it's only like a 30 issue run. I'm going to hunt them all down. But basically, this is a buddy cop crime procedural comic with guys that wear wings who are aliens in Chicago. Hmm. And it's so interesting. But the problem that comes out of this is that if this is Katar Hall, the Thanagarian, and Carter Hall, the archaeologist, is lost in limbo fighting, I think, what was it, Surtur or somebody like that? Yeah. With the rest of the JSA. Then who was that Hawkman that joined the Justice League? The other Katar Hall that looked like the JSA Hawkman more. Who is he? What they have to start doing then with this book is they have to start retconning history again, mm. yeah. right away here. Yeah. Now, what I found interesting was the annual, I think it was the annual, sends Hawkman and Hawkwoman basically back in time to the 40s. And what they discover is that Katar's father ended up this of course this is how they're retconning it but what they learn is that katar's father came to earth in the 40s and brought nth metal with him carter became friends with katar's father and was gifted the nth metal as they were working on ways to create flight out of it Hmm. what they do is they end up perfecting the hawkman suit And it's great. And then Carter Hall becomes Hawkman. And Katar's father takes what he has learned, goes back to Thanagar, and creates the Hawkman police force based off of Carter Hall. By the time Katar comes to Earth in the 80s, he realizes that he is the lineage of the original in a roundabout kind of way. That's all fine and good. But that still doesn't explain what Hawkman it was that joined the Justice League. Right. At least we've kind of explained some of that. But now they start saying that the Hawkman that joined the Justice League at this time was the original Carter Hall Hawkman. That he came out of retirement when the Justice League formed, and he's the one that joined them. So ever since the crisis ended, in the time between there and Hawkworld starting, 
any time Hawkman showed up, even though he was Katar Hall, it's now retconned that no, actually that was Carter Hall before he went into limbo with the J. And it's like, oh, okay, what? All right. <laughs> yeah. Sounds good, man. Whatever. Just yeah, right. It's like, what? What? All right, fine. Either way, this is a great book. I, I cannot recommend Hawkworld to people enough. And I'm I'm super excited to read the rest of that run. I am really, really jonesing that one now. The other two major things that, that happen that kind of give a brief little bit of hope deals with Superman, primarily. You have the Crisis of Crimson Kryptonite storyline, where they introduce the post-crisis version of Red Kryptonite. Mr. McSplitalik appears and gives Luther Red Kryptonite, which is magic from his, what is that, fourth dimension, fifth dimension, wherever he's from. So it's not really Kryptonite. It's more of a magic rock. And of course, Superman is affected by magic. And it takes his powers away. This is also where Superman meets the new Starman, Will Payton, for the very first time. Because Hmm. uh, Will ends up posing as Superman for a little while until until Kal-El can figure out what's going on and they become quite close which I found interesting that's another book that I, I did pick up the first two or three issues for this just to kind of get to know who Will Payton was a very interesting character and maybe someday down the road I'll, I'll get the rest of those but interesting interesting version of Starman so yes yeah, so this this storyline also is dealing heavily with Lex Luthor dying from the radiation poisoning. From ah, the, from the, the kryptonite, kryptonite ring. ring poisoning, yeah. Yep. yep. So, so we have all of this kind of going on and affecting the Superman world. By the end of the story, Lois and Clark, who are together, they are very much together and have been for a little while dating at this point, they get engaged. Clark pops the question. So this is where, this is where that begins. It's not long after that that Clark realizes well if we're going to do this she probably should know the secret ah and so he he reveals his identity which she struggles with at first but then of course everything is fine and she feels she i think she even says boy i feel really stupid it was just a pair of glasses <laughs> there's something to that effect <laughs> at this same time lex luthor eventually dies so we are led to believe Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Right. And they start talking about his son that he didn't know he had, Lex Luthor Jr. And where is he? He's the inheritor of the Luthor Empire. Also, where's the green kryptonite ring at this point? Well, there is a storyline, and I want to say it's the Dark Knight over Metropolis, I think it's called. It's a three-issue story where Superman needs Batman's help. And the two reluctantly work together. This is the story where post-crisis Superman and post-crisis Batman start to build their friendship. Mm. The friendship that they had prior to crisis, that they now no longer have because they, they've really developed them to being two opposite sides of the same coin. This is where that starts. This is also where Superman says, you're the only one that I can trust to take me down. You keep the ring. You keep the kryptonite. Oh, okay. Because at this point, this is the only piece of kryptonite in DC. That it's, it, this is all that's left. 
so yeah, so this is kind of a big story. These are these are kind of big Superman moments, and I guess for Batman, kind of a big Batman moment too, because this is where he gets that that kryptonite rock. And they're interesting and they're fun. I have to say they're not as enjoyable reads as let's say Hawkworld or Justice League Europe or the Tim Drake Robin stuff. Mm-hmm. They're they're definitely dated, so if you're not used to reading stuff from that era, it, it could get a little tiresome at times. But they're but they're good. They're really they're they're good stories overall. All hell breaks loose. Obanoba. Okay, this is an interesting segment to talk about. In this segment, we're going to talk about three major crossover events in DC. I had only ever read one and a half of them prior to this. Okay. The three events that we're talking about. Armageddon 2001, War of the Gods, and Justice League Breakdowns. Now, I had read War of the Gods before when I was younger in high school and I had read the two one shots of Armageddon but I had never read breakdowns before and I had never read the tie-ins to any of it in prepping this and in reading these what I very quickly discovered is that essentially all three of these events are occurring at the same time oh interesting yeah, I, that's what I thought too. I was like, well, I, I didn't realize this. But because I had never read Breakdowns before, there's not a lot of crossover between Armageddon and War of the Gods, but Breakdowns is a 16-issue Justice League crossover between Justice League America and Justice League Europe. Okay. And because it ran so long, it connects. There, There are so many references. At one point... They talk about how Captain Marvel is off dealing with the problems in Themyscira, and Captain Adam is trying to handle, you know, the issues with Monarch in Armageddon. So it's like it, it's like whoa, this is and breakdowns is going on. Good lord, this is like wow, the darkest yeah. era for the Justice League ever. So I'm gonna try to figure out the best way to to talk about that here and we may end up jumping around through this this three-story timeline a bit but essentially what occurs is in the future a man named matthew Ryder is living in a world run by monarch who is this nasty overlord dictator who has basically made earth safe and wonderful through fear and a strong arm. So not really safe or wonderful. Monarch used to be a hero. And nobody knows who he is. He's covered head to toe. And something happened in the year 2001 that caused this hero to go bad. And he wiped out all the other heroes and he took over. Now Matthew's trying to figure things out. He ends up going back in time to try to connect with the heroes prior to the Armageddon in 2001 and look into their future. Because if he can look into each one's individual future, 
he might be able to figure out which one becomes monarch and stop them and stop his future from occurring. Mm. Solid plan. So, yeah. Solid plan. Yeah. Kind of a bishop kind of thing almost. I mean, he's kind yeah. of like DC's bishop in a sense. And in doing so, what what Matthew ends up th- this process that he goes through to travel basically makes him the wave rider. Mm. He becomes the wave rider. That's the first issue of Armageddon 2001. From there, it splinters off into all of the annuals in DC. It was an event that crossed over with annuals. So with each annual, he goes to the character that is the focus of that annual, and as long as he can make contact with them, he can see their future. The really cool thing about this is that it's essentially a bunch of Elseworlds, but connected as an event. Right, right. And as he starts doing this, the heroes somehow see what is about to happen, and they kind of sort of remember what he shows them or what they see through him. And so they change their own outcomes. So if it's a character who has two or three different books, say like Superman or Batman, when Wave Rider shows up in one of the other titles annuals, you get yet a different version because now the previous version, that future has been changed. The only real constant continuity with Armageddon is through Wave Rider, essentially, as he's bouncing around. And some of them are really, really cool. And some of them are really, really not. Um, <laughs> there are very few outside of the Superman books that are crucial to read. Superman books and the Justice League books, those seem to be the most important tie-ins for Armageddon. There are some really interesting ones where Superman becomes basically the president. He's helping Pete Ross run for president and there's an assassination attempt and Clark jumps in front to prevent Pete from getting killed. And it ends up exposing his identity as Superman. And now Pete is going to be in the hospital for forever. And, and so he asks Superman to run in his stead. And so, you know, and there's some interesting things there. Um, you know, there, there was a, a very interesting one. I, I have to, I actually have to admit that the Legion, the Legion, I can't even remember what it is. Legion 91, I think was very interesting because at this point in time in the comics, and I'm not talking about the Legion of Superheroes, I'm talking about the acronym Legion, which also was a book that came out of Invasion. They were a bunch of alien characters who were being held in the prison camps during Invasion, and then they escape and they formed this group. At this time, Lobo is a member of the Legion. Oh! Yeah. So when Wave Rider goes to their future, he sees... Not only that most of the Legion has fallen apart because their leader, Vril Dox, a descendant of Brainiac and an ancestor to Brainiac 5, Uh has kind of gone mad with power and taken over a portion of the galaxy because he thinks that maybe maybe Vril Dox might be Monarch. And when he gets there, what what he discovers is that uh, there is one person that can stop all of this and Vril Dox has him contained in a in a room and he can't get out. He's like, he's like almost lobotomized and it's Lobo. 
And of course, you know, Lobo gets out and that was that was a very cool. Um, you got to let out the main man. You got to let out the main man. Nobody puts the main man in a box. That's right. <laughs> it takes a- <laughs> Wait a minute. Can you lobotomize Lobo? Uh, no, not really. It's yeah. almost like they have to be constantly lobotomizing him so that it never so that there's no time for him to recover from it. Yeah, it, it, it's pretty. It's a. It's actually a pretty cool book, and I'm not. I mean, the Legion books were fine. I, I've never really read a lot of them, but I've never really been a big fan of them. But but that one was was pretty cool, mostly because of Lobo. That's all going on while the Justice League starts to have their own problems in modern day. Maxwell Lord, at the beginning of Breakdowns, is shot. Where shot? Not in the location, but where in his body? Uh, you know, I don't remember, but it's bad enough that it puts him in a coma. Okay. Okay. All right. I, you know, I don't recall. It, it wasn't in his head or anything. It was a chest or something. But anyway, it, it puts him down. As a result of this, the UN starts to have massive meetings and discussions about, well, without Maxwell Lord, what is the future of Justice League International? Mm. Meanwhile, the Bialian government, which has been a big, long thread throughout these first 40 50 issues of justice league starts to work with jack-o'-lantern from the global guardians to try and take down the justice league jack-o'-lantern is you know kind of a third-rate hero who's a little nutty and he was with the global guardians and he never gets his due and he gets pissed and so he kind of joins up with this Bialian government and they're going to take down the justice league together Meanwhile, the Justice League is trying to figure out what's going on. They get this guy that is put in charge of them. It takes Maxwell Lord's place. And what they discover is that this guy is working for the Bialian government. It's, yeah. it's all a big conspiracy to get control of the League. So the Justice League are dealing with that. They're in the hospital watching over Max when Wave Rider shows up. And he looks into all of their futures. And of course, it's the Justice League annual, and it's that era of Justice League, so their futures are all ridiculous and off the wall. Meanwhile, over in Wonder Woman, at this time, the gods, all the gods, the Greek gods, the Roman gods, uh, Egyptian gods, everybody, the new gods, everybody, start warring with each other. And... (laughs) Intend Jeez. to destroy Earth in the process. Of course they do. Because Why not? Us, right? Right. Well, what what is actually going on at that point is Circe, and I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, the evil enchantress goddess Circe, uh, is basically controlling them all and using them to create this gigantic war because the more this occurs the more the goddess Gia, the earth goddess, will suffer, the more power Cerse will get. So, Oh, that old chest. That old, yes, right. So that is a major event that is occurring. And I did not read all of the tie-ins for War of the Gods, but I did read the Wonder Woman issues because... War of the Gods was written by George Perez, who was also writing Wonder Woman at the time, so I thought those uh, would probably okay. be important. Yep, yep. And I read a handful of Dr. Fate ones, just because I ran into them. And I read one of the Legion, Legion 91, the, the acronym Legion, times. Mm-hmm. 
Because in the first issue of War of the Gods, the Roman gods choose their champion, and their champion is Captain Marvel. He's a little brainwashed, and he's a little controlled, and they're going to put him up against Wonder Woman. And the two of them kind of fight a little bit, and then Captain Marvel is knocked clear across the galaxy. Wow. Okay. And yeah, okay, that's fine. You know, that that was all very interesting. But what occurs is he lands, he crashes into a bar in some far-off part of the galaxy, crashes through the roof, and slams into one of the guys who is sitting at the bar having a beer and a cigar. And it's Could it be the main man. The main bat? man. The Yay. main man gets knocked through a wall accidentally by Captain Marvel. So you can imagine how that gets taken. Oh. So that was one of the tie-ins that I thought, oh well, I gotta see that fight. <laughs> I, I gotta get that book. Yeah. So I hunted that down, and that was a very fun book. Overall important to the story. No, but, uh, <laughs> but, but, uh, fun. but a very fun issue. Okay. That's all that really matters. Yes. Yes. And it was, it was very cool. At the end of that issue, after the two of them bash the hell out of each other. And of course, Captain Marvel keeps trying to stop the fight and Lobo just wants to rip his spine out. Captain Marvel leaves. He's gone. Well, Lobo ain't going to stand for that. So he's going after him. So he leaves to track down Captain Marvel. So now Lobo is going to get and enter himself into the War of the Gods. Oh. While all of this is going on, (laughs) at the same time, the Justice League starts dealing with more repercussions from the fallout of this guy working for the Bialian government who has been outed. And now the UN has decided, okay, that's it. We're pulling your charter. You're done. The Justice League are not disbanded, but they no longer have their their UN clearance. Hmm. As a result, all of their embassies are taken from them. So there is no longer a Justice League America, Justice League Europe, Justice League whatever. All of that is done. So now they all reconvene in the cave, the original cave at the harbor. Oh, wow. At Happy Harbor. At Happy Harbor, yep. So they all go back to the cave, and they are one big, giant Justice League. Holy shit. Now, of course, Armageddon starts heating up at this time. And the more it's playing out, the more it's looking like Monarch is Captain Adam. Okay. And this is where the infamous, I have to say, story in publishing comes around. Where fans pretty much guessed the outcome of Armageddon. And rather than just follow through with it, because it was so good, and it really is a fun story. Rather than just follow through and give the fans something good, at the last minute, DC changed the end of Armageddon. Just so that they didn't predict the ending? So that it would be a surprise. Ugh. And what ends up happening is Monarch ends up being revealed as Hawk from Hawk and Dove. Ooh! With no... Shocking! Inexplicable reason. I mean, there's a reason that's given, but it's so stupid that even... I mean, I was halfway through issue two, the the, the bookend issue of Armageddon, mm-hmm. and thinking, wow, everybody complains about this, but this is 
this is just as much fun as I remember. This is really good. And then it reveals Hawk and they try to explain it. And I went, oh, yep, there it is. That's, this, that's, is why the, this is why it sucks. This is where it fell apart. They yeah. really DC'd this one. Yeah, basically. <laughs> basically, you know, the heroes all work together with Wave Rider and Captain Adam, and they, they fight off Hawk, who full-on assumes the identity of Monarch at this time, and they feel like they've essentially killed Monarch. In reality, he gets shot through some sort of portal, and I, I, he doesn't... I don't even know where he ends up, but he ends up somewhere. And Captain Adam seemingly dies in the process. But Mm. on the last pages of the book, you find out that Captain Adam was shot through that portal as well. So he's not dead, but everybody thinks he is. And that's how Armageddon ends. Wave Rider has discovered the issue. And so now his future has been changed, which means that there is no longer a place for the Wave Rider. He, He no longer has a home because he is a man out of literally out of his time. At that same time, <laughs> the War of the Gods starts heating up. The War of the Gods is interesting. There's a lot in it. And there are what feels like 30 or 40 crossovers and tie-ins to the War of the Gods story. That was clearly the big event of the year. It's not as bad as Millennium in the sense, you know, Millennium, if you didn't read the tie-ins, you were lost. It's not like that, but... It's not very clear which tie-ins are important and which aren't. And some mm-hmm. of them, it's it's very obvious, were very important. Because as I was reading it, I was like, well, why? I didn't see this. Where did this occur? Yeah. You know? But you know what? And that if seems really, important. If you really look at the history of comic books, though, that's that's kind of a running theme. It is. Tie-ins, tie-ins it is. are important... And I wonder if it's actually intentional. It's like, all right, we're not going to say how important these are. We're just going to put them out. Because if you think about it, almost every major crossover, and I'm talking about both companies. I'm talking about the big two, Marvel and DC. You've got your main story, but then you have all these tie-ins, and they produce a shit ton. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Some of them are just, oh, well, that was a story. And then others are like, Holy crap, this was really great. Yeah, yeah. And then there are some, like with some of these War of the Gods tie-ins and some other crossovers that we've all read, I'm sure, where there are two or three pages in the tie-in that are extremely important. Yeah. And the rest of it has nothing to do with it. And that Mm -hmm. happens a lot, I found, with these War of the Gods tie-ins. Actually, I found the Dr. Fate tie-ins that I have were very important. And even though the Legion tie-in was not overly important, the majority of the book, not all of it, but the majority of the book focused on the fight. So it at least felt like part of it. Yeah. You know, some of the Wonder Woman tie-ins that I thought were going to be really important. Man, half of the issues were things that were going on in the Wonder Woman storyline that it was like, I... I haven't. I don't know what what any of this is, nor do I care about these supporting characters. Maybe if I was reading the book, but I don't care. <laughs> but anyway, that's that's neither here nor there for the grand scheme of the continuity of DC. So, as the War of the Gods is heating up, and as more and more heroes are getting involved, and more pantheons of gods are starting to crumble, the Justice League then gets attacked 
by Despero. Oh. <laughs> it's, yeah, I mean, it's like one thing after another for the Justice League during the breakdown story. It is literally like, they literally finish something and they turn around and then, wait, what? Like, we're literally licking licking our wounds on the battlefield and now there's somebody else? They don't get a moment to, to breathe. So Despero attacks. And I've always loved Despero. I mean, he's a major Justice League villain. And that's a huge, huge battle. During the fight, Manga Khan's little robot friend, Elron, who has defected <laughs> and he's working with the Justice League now, he's, he's actually working with Kilowog because Kilowog at this time is no longer a Green Lantern. He is a member of the Justice League as well. And uh, without a ring because the core is pretty much decimated. At this time, Kilowog and Elrond have become very close, and Elrond essentially sacrifices himself. <sighs> no! No! Yes, by allowing his consciousness, his mechanical consciousness, to be implanted in Despero. It's the only way to stop him. And Kilowog has this, this great little, you know, farewell scene with him, and it was really neat. So they, they finally defeat Despero. And Manga Khan comes back and gets the Elrond Despero and leaves. And um, and the empty husk of Elrond is then just thrown back into the cave. Then the Justice League gets called in for the final battle for the War of the Gods. The War of the Gods, I, I have to tell you, it's a, it's a epic story. It's cool. It's a great concept. Wonder Woman dies. She gets brought back to life to... to battle Cersei at the at the very end with Donna Troy and you know the the new gods get very involved and they everybody starts to team up against her I and mean, it's 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 epic and it's really cool it also could have been done in three issues it is I, I am a big fan of getting your money's worth from a book mm-hmm. I comic books are 50% art 50% writing and I want both. I don't want a book that is just nothing but drawings. Right. Um, I want my money's worth. Well, War of the Gods, you certainly get your money's worth. It is almost overwritten. Mm. Mm. There are, I mean, there is a whole four-page sequence that I started glossing over where the wizard Shazam starts to try to explain to Black Adam his own history and how they're going to use the metal men to reattach the lightning to Billy Batson. I have no idea where, where it, Billy but, Batson lost the lightning because the right. last time I saw him, he was fighting Lobo. <laughs> so uh, there's a there's a tie-in I missed. Well, and um, how do the metal men have anything to do with yeah, harnessing well, the lightning to put back onto Billy Batson? And like like I said, I started glossing over it because it was like three or four pages that could have been done in a page. And it cut into this fight between that started off between Lobo and Black Adam, which was really cool. Oh. And then Lobo and Black Adam back to back fighting some of Cersei's monsters and, and her army, which was also very cool. All right. Yeah. Um, but then you get this four page explanation. I was like, good Lord, Perez, man, these are good ideas. <laughs> Wrap it up. Pull it Wrap back, it up. Man. Hit the button. <laughs> right. Anyway, what eventually occurs at the end of the War of the Gods storyline, they defeat Cersei. Everything's fine. 
most of the pantheons of gods decide that they need to move on from Earth. Earth is better off without them. They'll go do other things. Hmm. And the wall that covers Themyscira from the rest of the world is no more. So at the end of War of the Gods, anyone can go to and from Themyscira, just like you can Atlantis or anywhere else. So I found that kind of interesting. Hmm. Okay. Uh, it also ended George Perez's run on Wonder Woman, which, like him or not, overwritten or not, whatever, I mean, that's a 70-something issue run. That's, that's, that's an iconic run of Wonder Woman. That is, yes, yes. So the Justice League finished that. They just finished the War of the Gods. When they get word, Max has, wake, has woken up from the coma. So they quick rush back <laughs> to get back to the cave because Max is there. And they discover by the end of that next issue that Max didn't wake up. The Dream Slayer from the extremists has come back and found a body in Maxwell Lord because he was in a coma. So the dream slayer, (laughs) the the DC Dormammu has taken over Maxwell Lord's body. And now he is going to use Max's mental powers to revive the extremists. Seems reasonable. Yeah. I mean, right. Why why wouldn't you? Mm -hmm. Um, The end of breakdowns, is the Justice League versus Maxwell Lord and the extremists who eventually take over some of the minds of the Justice League. So you have almost like a Justice League civil war of sorts. Wow. They eventually defeat him. They get him out of Max. Max is fine. He's woken up again. He says he doesn't have his powers anymore, but there are hints that maybe he still does. And of course, we know from history that he does. But at this time, we don't know if he has his powers or not. Right. Because that's not important right now. Because that's not important right now. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And so Max and Oberon go to the cave. And they are going to talk to everybody and go, okay, we don't have UN sponsorship anymore. But let's do this. Let's bring the, let's figure out a way to fix the league. Mm -hmm. And while they're trying to go through it, Literally every single member of both leagues quits. And they all walk out. And the end of breakdowns is Maxwell Lord by himself in an empty cave. What? And it ends the Keith Giffen run of Justice League. That was his, his exit from the international era of the Justice League. What an exit. There's so much that is going on at that time between those three stories. And it's, I tell you, it was damn near impossible to come up with a way to read it and figure out a reading order. And sometimes I would be reading things out of order and then have to go and put them back into an order when I put them in the box. And, and I'm glad you and I share that <laughs> anal retentiveness I know. of I know. having to put a story in continuity order yes yeah well and because it 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 does make a it does make a difference i mean in the armageddon issue i think it is of justice league the armageddon tie-in or no no i I, uh i think it's it's not the armageddon one it's it's a different um war of the gods connection i think or something anyway at the beginning of the issue when the justice league are getting together to clear out the embassy and move back to the, the cave 
they talk about how, you know, oh my God, I can't believe Captain Adam is dead. And it says, for more, check out Armageddon 2001, number two. And then they are like, you know, did Wonder Woman ever get her stuff out? I don't know. She's dealing with stuff in Themyscira. I mean, it it is all happening at the same time. Wow. See, that right there, I, I kind of feel like that is the epitome of 80s and early 90s comics. It was, let's do as much as we can. And none of the editorial staffs are communicating enough to coordinate they're communicating enough to add the little caption boxes with the asterisks mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. them, but not to how do we make this make freaking sense? Well, and also I read recently that George Perez was having difficulties with DC at the time at, at, on Wonder Woman. And he was very upset that it was the 50th anniversary of Wonder Woman and they weren't doing anything. So he was doing this War of the Gods story as a celebration for the 50th anniversary of Wonder Woman. Yeah. But because of that very thing that you bring up, Mr. X, books, they were not communicating. Editorial staffs were not communicating with each other. They were throwing in tie-ins that didn't need to be connected. Mm. And they were not communicating any of this to the executives and the publication department. So things were coming out and being released out of order. <sighs> Now, I had the benefit of reading it, you know, hindsight, but right. can you imagine if you were buying them at that time and they were coming out out of order with, with the amount of connectivity between these three stories? That would drive me nuts. It would have, yeah, it would have put me through a roof. But that's that's it, guys. That is The Dark Years, part one. Oh, that is some dark stuff right there. Very dark. And the thing is, is that's you know, as we know, and as we will discuss in in our next installment of Understanding DC Comics, that ain't even the darkest. Oh, did you save the darkest for part two? Ooh, <gasps> you bet I did. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> we got some death coming up, major death. Yeah. We got some appendages being severed. We got some bad guys taking over good guys. Nice. We got some backs getting broken. Oh, God. Dang. Ooh, I wonder who that is. Oh. <laughs> and there's part- some good stuff that will come out of out of the second part, too. But uh, Oh, yeah, sure. There's always s- small little rays of light. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's where we want to ask all of you listeners out there. What are your most memorable moments during this period of DC continuity? Let us know. Head on over to any one of our social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Find us on YouTube. Find us on our website at www.mybigfatpolis.com. Let us know. We want to hear from you. Let us know your thoughts. I know, and and I speak for me and Pistol Danger, I know I found all things Lobo very interesting. I do love the main man. Well, I you know, I got to tell you, then you might want to read breakdowns just itself because Lobo does show up in breakdowns. He and and here's where things like don't connect, because if he's flying to Earth to confront Captain Marvel Mm. at one point during breakdowns, he's coming to Earth because he has been charged with bringing in Despero. So when Despero attacks the League, Lobo is attacking as well. So it's it's a three for all almost. Lobo, 
versus Despero versus the League. But it doesn't mention anything about how Lobo went up against Captain Marvel or is hunting him down as well. Uh, hmm. But, you know, if you're not held to that continuity, then let me tell you, the three-way fight between the League, Despero, and Lobo is pretty bitchin'. I, I think I'm going to check that out, and I want to see him versus Black Adam. Yeah, and that, and unfortunately, him versus Black Adam does not last as long as I would have liked it to. You know, I think you get like maybe a page of the fight, and then the two of them work together, and then, like I said, you get four pages of of the Wizard Shazam diatribing about this, that, and the other thing. Wizards, man, they ruin yeah. it for all of us. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, I gotta say, I, for one, as a comic book lover. And a lover of storytelling, but a comic book lover. I gotta say, I have to appreciate what you do every time you bring one of these understanding DC Comics continuity episodes to the pull list. Dr. Impact. When we had originally talked about this, I thought, yeah, we could do a history in two episodes. But I feel like there's just so much to dissect when it comes to the constant rewriting and retconning. And not even just crisis events, but obviously Hawkman in, you know, in the Hawkworld book and the amount of retconning that just goes on in that one title. And it and it's for a big DC fan like myself, it's fun to go back and reread all this in an order of sorts. And I think I think Hawkman rivals Wolverine with the most convoluted backstory Mm. where comic book characters are concerned. Trust me. You ain't heard nothing yet when it comes to Hawkman. Uh, Yay. Good. Yeah. (laughs) Wait till zero hour. Ah, well, and, and we're getting closer and closer to zero hour. So with that, folks, we are going to wrap up this episode of understanding DC comics continuity, the dark years, part one, part two's got a lot of stuff that, I mean, it's dark. And I'm looking forward to talking about it, but I don't want to sound like I'm like optimistically looking forward to talking (laughs) about it, but it's really good storytelling. Yes, it is. So so trust me when I say, make sure you come back for part two of the dark years. But until then, I am Mr. X. I'm Smurfy. I'm Dr. Impact. I'm the main man himself. Pistol Danger. And we'll see you next time. Keep on reading comics, folks. Because if you don't, something, something, sexual innuendo. That's our show, folks. Tell your friends and family about our program. What he means is you and everyone you know should subscribe, rate, and review our podcast on every app possible. Want to help support the show? Visit our Patreon page. We have a variety of incentives at multiple tiers sure to satisfy any and all hardcore geeks. You can also follow us on social media where we post weekly comic picks, breaking news stories, and glimpses into our everyday geek lives. Until next time, keep your turtle shells waxed. (laughs) Your power rings charged. And your proton packs primed. Ooh, what's this do? No, Smurfy! Not the containment unit! And nobody else wants to talk about it. <laughs> Alright, I'll, I'll keep going with it. No, no, no. <laughs>
Do you no. like YouTubes? Go to YouTubes. Yeah, I thought Day was going to give more into it, like the shows and everything that we've got on there. That I, I thought somebody too. else was going to jump in, but I can do oh. that. Yeah, that's fine. Okay, yeah. One of these days, Smurfy's going to start pulling his weight around here. Maybe. Yeah. Well, I was on mute. My dogs were barking. I wanted. I was trying to ease up on the editor. Oh, sure, sure. Cue the music. <laughs> Before it forgets, silence the phone. Put it back on silent. Not vibrate. <laughs> Done. I have taught you well. Yeah. Dr. Impact. I almost called you Dr. X. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't be the first I time. Almost, you did that. I, yeah, I know. And it won't be the last. Listen here, Dr. Almost, doctor. We love you. Dr. Doctor. Mr. Doctor. And Mr. Doctor. Doctor. <laughs> yeah, <he's- laughs> Nailed it. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and we're done. Yep.